this UCLA-Oregon State game, in my mind, could be pretty simple. It's probably going to come down to something like turnovers. You are locked on UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into this episode of the Locked On UCLA Podcast. I'm your host, Zach anderson Yoxheimer. Thanks for making this show your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast, and it's available on YouTube. So like, comment, subscribe, download. Thanks for your support if you're an everydayer. You've seen me talk UCLA hoops when it comes to media day. You've seen me tease and build this matchup between the Bruins and Beavers, an elimination game of sorts in the Pac-12 title race because the team who's out and loses is most likely out in terms of maybe making it to the Pac-12 title game. Not done officially. Long road to climb, but still lots of important games left for both teams. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. You can make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5, get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Turnovers, 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 turnovers. Not food, not anything. It's going to come down to turnovers. And the Bruins defense has capitalized significantly. The offense sometimes using the, the Bruins defense, but it's been the UCLA defense that's led this team that's now a well-known fact to basically everybody after the Washington State performance. The defense is what's going to lead this team to victory in Corvallis, except if the Bruins turn it over. How can Dante Moore as a youngster continue to grow from week to week? There's no more bye weeks. The Bruins don't get that bye week to learn and adjust from week to week. They had that early week, five bye week, took some adjustments, and hopefully going forward, that's going to make a difference for UCLA because despite being one of the better teams in the country at forcing turnovers, the Bruins have coughed it up just almost as much, not the same amount, but the amount of times of them winning the turnover batter by a wide margin, despite forcing so many turnovers, isn't as wide as one would think considering they have the young freshman quarterback. They've dropped it a couple of times. There's still growing pains the Bruins have gone through with Dante Moore quarterback, and it's not on him. There's still ways to change the offense, moving things, changing the run scheme like the Bruins have done a little bit to give Carson Steele a lot more success because he got a bulk of the carries against Wazoo. In the end, it's to avoid the mistake that will probably lead to UCLA winning this game. It's avoiding, and he can't play scared, especially on the road in a rowdy environment when Research Stadium will be rocking, expecting UCLA to make a big mistake early because Dante Moore has thrown picks in early parts of these games, each of the first two Pac-12 games in the first quarter. Pick six, and then a pick early against Wazoo in the first quarter. And also, he threw that the bigger interception, the pick six right before halftime. So the big thing is, can UCLA not only limit the turnovers, can they limit their mistakes? Because in every single game, there's going to be a mistake. Moore can simply throw an interception. But if it's not something when they're down a, a score, if they're down a touchdown, or if it's early in the game that changes a two-score lead going into halftime to trailing, like it's that much switch of momentum like it was against Washington State, then you, you're going to make mistakes. It's limiting those and making sure that that win probability number, which isn't always the most accurate of things because some teams make crazy comebacks anyway, does that go back and forth? So while UCLA needs to limit their mistakes, they still might throw a pick. That's kind of been the number. They've been turning it over probably about once per game every single time. And Oregon State seems primed and ready with their front seven fairly physical as well. 
maybe not up to the level of UCLA's capability, but they're returning some starters that missed some parts of the game against Cal. They will know the game plan, what it takes to fluster Dante Moore in this Chip, Chip Kelly offense in 2023. That is, get pressure on the quarterback and find ways to get more down, put a lot of pressure on UCLA's offensive line, and force more into throwing interceptions. But the real thing is, looking at the numbers, I was reading a Yahoo Sports article talking about different numbers. It's actually DJ Uyengale who struggles significantly against pressure. For Dante, it's can he even get the ball off, right? He is poised, he's mature, he's had great responses to how the team's adjusted, to how the loss was on his shoulders after the Utah game, everything. He's taken all the blame, he's taken everything. But when you look actually at the numbers, what's interesting is that DJ, who hasn't put the ball on the ground or thrown the interceptions like Dante has in limited opportunities, been the starter since week one because he came in as the transfer knowing, hey, this is a chance for Oregon State to come make a big change and be very good this year with their defense. DJ this year, facing a UCLA defense that's one of the top 15 teams at forcing fumbles and recovering them, having eight interceptions, DJ's thrown four interceptions on 152 passing attempts coming into this game. UCLA, 18 sacks, 116 total pressures. That's eight less than the nation's leader in Texas A&M, but A&M has less pressures than UCLA. So the Bruins, well, they haven't gotten to the quarterback as much as the nation's leaders in sacks in Texas A&M. They're almost always in the backfield, and it truly felt like that against Washington State. For DJ, a nice number that I found limited there, when he's facing pressure, 44% completion rate. 44% completion rate when he's under duress trying to throw the football, only 267 yards, which is about a 42nd best in the country, and then 67th best completion rate when he's facing pressure already. He already isn't necessarily, by the numbers, going back to his Clemson days and now here at Oregon State, isn't the most accurate of quarterbacks. He's a very physical, strong, dynamic quarterback who's got a lot of strong. He's got some intangibles there. It's just... He isn't like the number one pick going into the draft, as he could have been with his counterpart coming out of high school, dueling with Bryce Young. That just isn't how his high school into his college career has gone as he's found himself into Corvallis, a good product, a good quarterback. But when the Bruins can get pressure on him, that is not where he's going to thrive. He isn't going to be extremely mobile like Mord, who can try and make something out of nothing, which he did not do against UCLA. So for the Bruins, who force turnovers with a quarterback that already isn't the most accurate of QBs, and now you bring in a front seven, the Creatures, as they they were called after the Wazoo game, right, from Jake Dickard, the Creatures that UCLA are. Can they make Creatures a habit again, getting in the backfield against a pretty strong OSU starting O-line, force pressure, get DJ under duress, and that is the thing, the turnovers, right? Turnovers will be the story for UCLA's offense. If they give you, if they give the Beavers the ball in plus territory or give them a score, then that's one thing. But the Bruins can force turnovers and will live based off what the front seven's been doing, led by Latu and the Murphy Twins, Toia, Smith, everybody. Carl Jones Jr. was able to do some big things. The front seven has been outstanding, especially the last couple of weeks. Can they generate that pressure with what Danton Lynn draws up against an Oregon State offense that, yes, they will like to run the ball. It's up to the Bruins to stop the run. Can they force fumbles? Can they strip the Beaver backs, you know, over again like they've been doing to 
to Oregon State when they were deep in the red zone and the Bruins didn't allow the score, which is something they've been very good at. When their backs were against the wall, they forced turnovers literally on the one-inch line, deep in their own red zone, whatever it needs to be. They have found ways to get stops and allow zero points when teams have been practically guaranteed three when they're so deep into UCLA territory. Turnovers will be the story of this game, and the easiest way is to face a quarterback that's not the most accurate to begin with, numbers-wise. He's coming off his best game as a Beaver, one of his better games in his career, is still very talented, and I, I wouldn't have been hurt. It wouldn't have been bad if he came to UCLA, right? But still, the Bruins have Garbers, they have Schley, and of course, the start ended up being Dante Moore. We live with Dante Moore, but the young mistakes compared to the veteran, can this veteran handle the pressure? It's not just the pressure of the game, the pressure of the moment. That might be Dante Moore's pressure in addition to the OSU blitzes that they're most likely going to bring in some fashion to get the UCLA offensive line out of flux. It's all about can the Bruins pressure Oregon State and get DJ out of rhythm while keeping the, uh, the run game in, in check. If Oregon State's going to run the football down the Bruins' throat, that I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if that happens – then it doesn't really matter. DJ's not going to need to throw the ball, and the play action will work because the Bruins will have to gamble. You keep the run game attack, you pressure the quarterback, and the game will truly come down to who turns over the ball at the most inopportune time. That might lead to a score. We've seen how defensive scores have completely switched the narrative in a couple of UCLA games. One that didn't end up changing the final score, and the other one that was the deciding factor in the Bruins' loss at Utah. So pressure the QB because the turnover battle is going to decide the game. How do you do it? Get in the backfield, get in his face. And when it comes to pressuring the quarterback, the Bruins are amongst the best in the country. Pro football focus gives UCLA's defensive line their ability to get to the quarterback as one of the best in the country. Now prove it again against Oregon State and the Bruins could very well, despite being underdogs in this game, find a way to win this one on the road and be ranked closer to the top 10. A lot of hype leading into the middle of October, early November. A lot of good feelings coming up pretty soon, which we hope with the UCLA win, that can happen. It starts with the front seven, the defensive line, getting the backfield over and over again. Coming up next on Locked on UCLA, we're going to talk some throwback Thursday. A little hat tip to Mike Regalado from Bruin Report Online, Bro Report, the 24-7 sports site, about the, the Mirage Bowl. So I did a little research, and I went down a little loophole. And we know what happens when I go down little loopholes. I can go all the way out of control. So what did I find out about UCLA and Oregon State's history, that 1980 game that took place in Tokyo? What? Yes, we'll talk about that next. And more random things from the 1980 football season in college football and other things that I found elsewhere here on Locked On UCLA. Let's tell you more about FanDuel Sportsbook. Because while the Bruins currently are underdogs needing to maybe get a touchdown to beat the Oregon State on a road, you want to snap into the NFL season this year with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Because if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. They've got a wide range of betting options, such as spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season, FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Getting ready to wrap up a shorter edition of Locked On UCLA. Zach Anderson, Yox, I'm with you guys. Throwback Thursday, which is usually my favorite segment because it means I did some goofy nonsense and looked around, looked at UCLA, looked at history between the Bruins and the Beavers. 
all sorts of random things that I looked at and maybe got myself into trouble. Who knows? As Mike Regalado tweeted, hat tip to him and the Bro Report team. They do great work over there. He talked about the Bruins and Beavers actually played in Tokyo, Japan in 1980. So I went back, looked at different games. Even the LA Times posted recently about what are the five best matchups between the Bruins and the Beavers over the years in a long historical match between these two teams because they do that for almost every team the Bruins have played in this last year, the Pac-12. What is a historical matchup of some significance, but also super, super random? 1980, November 30th, UCLA and the Oregon State Beavers played a game in Tokyo, Japan, known as the Mirage Bowl, maybe the Coca-Cola Classic. It was not a bowl game, and we'll get more into why it wasn't a bowl game. It's a regular season game and why it was important it's not a bowl game. Just a random regular season game that was played in Tokyo, Japan at the end of the season for the 1980 Bruins that went 9-2, and 5-2 and two overall in the then Pac-10. And funny enough, they, they, there is no bowl game for the Bruins. Why? More on that later. In this game against Oregon State, it was a year where the Beavers found themselves at the very bottom of the standings, 0-8 in the Pac-10, 0-11 overall this year. So what the Bruins were looking for was a big win, maybe an outside shot to tie for the top of the lead in the Pac-10 standings in 1980 and be a co-Pac-10 champion of sorts in that year if they had won and Washington took a late loss. For Oregon State, they were 0-11, having to go to this Tokyo, Japan, just to play a game, and the Bruins in what was the then the fourth annual Mirage Bowl at Tokyo's National Stadium. This was a game that was played at the main stadium of the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. So why are they playing this game? That was technically a sellout of 80,000 people. I'm not sure how long it kept going because I think it went to the early 90s. Maybe you remember watching this game. Maybe you don't, depending on how old you are, if you're a big UCLA fan from watching that game against the Beavers. This was not a memorable game by any imagination. But the fact that they played a regular season at the end of the year in Tokyo, Japan, just boggles my mind because I'm not sure. They, they play beginning of the year, right? They, we've seen Notre Dame go play in Ireland. We've seen a random game, what, like in Australia? I don't even know. They've played games everywhere. Next year, the Bruins are going to go open up in Hawaii. That's completely different than playing a game in Japan that is not just a week or two prior to the beginning of the season. It's UCLA playing in the regular season, a conference game in Japan, which just kind of seems unheard of. But as much as we've seen all these different pro sports leagues and college sports leagues, conferences and everything, go play across the country, maybe in different countries, in different islands for different big games, on carriers, ship carriers for basketball games. They've been doing this for a long time. We just forgot about it or never knew about it or different things. The Bruins won this game 34-3, to sent the winless Beavers home. The Bruins, who are one of the top 10 teams in the country that year under Terry Donahue, found themselves wrapping up a big game. What was so important about this game for Terry Donahue and the UCLA Bruins that actually happened in this game specifically? A 34-3 game, UCLA wins, and then all of a sudden, what was important with the UCLA win on a Sunday game? Well, UCLA's tailback, Freeman McNeil, if you remember the name, because he's one of the top of the leaderboards in UCLA rushing statistics, he ran for three touchdowns, 
set a school career rushing record in the game since broken by, by future Bruins, but set the career rushing record, ran for 109 yards, a game where UCLA was up 31-0 at the half. McNeil didn't actually play in the second half, and the Bruins ran away with that one in a dominant fashion. I'm actually looking at a newspaper clipping right now about the game when they dominated this game. They didn't even need to play in the second half. The last score came with Kenny Easley's interception. He had two interceptions, including a pick six, and their last touchdown came with 5.55 to go in the half for the All-American safety. So you had Freeman McNeil setting a then-career rushing record for UCLA way back in the Mirage Bowl, which I don't think it's talked about too much. I know since UCLA's had Perkins, Green, Jonathan Franklin, who leads the UCLA career rushing record with over 4,400 yards. You have McNeil, who's just ahead of current UCLA coach Deshaun Foster by measly yard. And maybe if McNeil was allowed in that game, could have run for 500 yards, maybe could be higher up on the list in the UCLA career rushing yards record. Either way, UCLA was able to get the win, dominate the Beavers, and send off McNeil on a high note. Many of the seniors with Terry, Don- Terry Donahue in that time getting big things. For Oregon State, it clinched their worst season in its literal history. They had a 70-man roster, and their coach was talking about them not quitting. For Terry Donahue, it was one of the top senior classes in the history of the school as it co- when it comes down to what was quoted in this article. So for Freeman McNeil, he had 3,195 yards rushing, who surpassed the record of Wendell Taylor, who was Taylor, Wendell Tyler at the time, who was a Los Angeles Ram at the time in the 1980s, passed that record, could have gone for even more in the second half, possibly, and the Bruins didn't play in a bowl game. So initially, this Mirage Bowl, a Mirage in Tokyo, one, it was a game where UCLA and Oregon State wasn't memorable, broke the UCLA career rushing record in that game, the then record, and held for a little bit by Freeman McNeil. But the 1980 season, maybe you remember it, 43 years ago from the posting of this podcast, was a unique thing. Here's a funny little quote. I found this in the Washington Post. I know this has nothing to do with UCLA, Oregon State, but it kind of does. Actually, it does. But This is funny. Considering Oregon State's right now a part of the two-pack or the Pac-2, whatever you call it, in the disintegrated Pac-12, this ironically, it says, I found this on the WashingtonPost.com, but it says by Richard Hoffer and the Los Angeles Times on August 12th in 1980. This was a big decision by the then Pac-10. Funny, right? The Pacific 10 Conference was reduced to Pac-5 today. That's half the sentence. There's not a lot of context in that sentence. I just think the first part of that sentence is extremely, extremely funny. I can continue this. The Pac-10 conference was reduced to Pac-5 today for purposes of the 1980 conference football championship. So it's funny that we have the Pac-2, the Pac-12's crumbled. Then the line, the Pac-5, which can be a running joke that we don't even realize, the Pac-5, there's a reason why it was the Pac-5 for that season. Right now, we're sitting with the two-pack, the Pack 2 The Bruins are playing one of the remaining schools left in the Pac-12 umbrella. We have no idea what that looks like. But in the 1980 season, the same year that UCLA and Oregon State met in the Mirage Bowl, why are the Bruins somewhat in contention for the Rose Bowl, but not bowl eligible, 
or able to play in any postseason game and ineligible for the league title. That included USC, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, and Arizona State. Some of you may remember this. Some of you may have forgotten this even happened. Five teams, half the conference was ineligible to win the conference title, which meant that people were super afraid that the sixth place team could win the Pac-10, have a losing record, and represent the conference so horribly with a losing record in the Rose Bowl. That didn't happen. Washington went six and one, went nine and three, lost to Michigan in the 1981 Rose Bowl. Yet it was only Stanford, Cal, Washington, Wazoo, and Arizona who were able to compete. So every game counted for the records. Every game counted in the standings. All 1980 games will count towards the championship. So it was a unique season where half the conference, UCLA, SC, where there's presidents and chancellors of the conference that imposed penalties of various violations of rules and standards that ruled five separate institutions, the winless Beavers, the second best Bruins, SC, everybody, Oregon and Oregon State, Arizona State, all ineligible for the Pac-10 title at that time. Isn't that remarkable? The penalties were because of an investigation that happened in 1979. The penalties were for violations of conference rules and standards in the areas of unearned credits, falsified transcripts, and an unwarranted intrusion of athletic department interests into the academic processes of the respective universities. A spokesman said, according to this article, the third violation applied only to USC and based on allegations that athletes received unearned credits for classes at other schools. So all these games, there are games in separate years forfeited by UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon in separate years, SC's track and field team had struggles. All sorts of teams had separate issues that had various problems with the athletic injustice, the academic injustice there. So while this isn't actually a good light, the Bruins still had a very good 1980 season. And it was a unique, unique time because Dr. Glenn Terrell of Washington State, the chairman of the presidents and, pr- and chancellors, said the penalties pretty severe and pretty jolting. That you erase half the conference from even competing in the conference championship, the Pac-5, which is kind of a joke now, the Pac-2, and yet it doesn't affect television. It didn't affect the television re- revenue for the academic integrity, and it didn't deal with any extra benefit violations of other things. So at the time, their biggest question was, hey, what's going to happen if there's a Pac-10 team at the time that wins it with a losing record? Well, whatever. It it didn't happen because Washington went on to win. So that was a funny thing about the 1980 season. The Mirage Bowl, the Bruins beat the winless Beavers, had a chance to be a top-10 team climbed to number two in the country during the 1980 season, which was maybe the Pac-10's worst fear based on previous years where the Bruins were one of the top teams in the country, what's going to happen? Because they wiped them, the conference did, named them ineligible for playing in a postseason bowl. Made a ban on five teams. SE was high that year. Oregon had some unique wins, beat some of the top teams in the conference, but was in the middle of the conference based on the record. So many random stuff. Charles Young, the UCLA chancellor, said, I believe the penalties were appropriate, were appropriate, It's very important that we deal with these infractions when they arise in appropriate ways. Called this penalty stiff, but he said it doesn't carry into the future. It doesn't hurt recruiting, for example. I think it will have minimal impact on our program. At the moment, UCLA did not even miss out on a Rose Bowl berth other than not playing there. So here's what Terry Donahue had to say about this season. It said, hey, 
The incident for which we're being penalized occurred three years ago, and we're embarrassed for the academic integrity and of UCLA being subject. He's sorry for the players and the coaches, and yet it's going to take a little fun out of it. It was Terry Donahue's question if the sixth-place team could be won by a conference record with a losing record, right? It, so many weird things could happen. In the end, that did not happen. So my nerdiness, all sorts of things, in a big circle, the Bruins and the Mirage Bowl had a career rushing record set in Tokyo, Japan, of all places, not Corvallis, not in, in Southern California. They weren't even eligible for the Rose Bowl, despite being ranked as high as number two in the country. Five teams weren't eligible. The Pac-10 had become the Pac-5. And yet here we are, 43 years later, the Pac-12 disintegrating. No more regular season games at the end of the year, I think, are playing across the, across the world, right? They're not playing across the Pacific Ocean or being played in Europe. Maybe week one, week zero, they're more likely to go do things. The Bruins in week zero in 2024 will be at Hawaii. Yet it's just funny how many things have changed in 43 years. And who would have remembered that they played in the Mirage Bowl? I don't know. Nobody would. So I thought that was funny. A wild rambling segment of, hey, a funny year. 1980 was. Bruins had a good season. And they won the Mirage Bowl, which was a regular season game, dubbed as a bowl game. But it was a regular season game, not a postseason game, because the Bruins couldn't make it and neither could Oregon State. Solidifying the worst Oregon State, arguably one of the worst Oregon State seasons in history, and UCLA setting career rushing record for the time. That's going to do it for Locked On UCLA today. I was nerdy. I dove into this. I looked and read so many things about this. A little tidbit, which isn't fully true, which is why I'm going to only say it for like 10 seconds. The 1984 Mirage Bowl, rumored, very much rumored, between Army and Montana. Actually, this is quotes. This is not official because there's nothing I could confirm to see that this is true or not. But I looked at different things, read an article clipping about this too. Maybe the 1984 Mirage Bowl in Tokyo, four years later, between Montana and Army, maybe introduced the wave, you know, the thing that every LA sports team does, the wave, or fans, all the fans do the wave, to Japan. Rumor has it, right? Because there is very different debates about when was the origin of the, the wave, which technically didn't come potentially until the early 1980s, according to an ESPN article in 2013. But reading different things and the clipping, it said that they thrilled the crowd in 1984, getting them to do the wave. And that's maybe when Japan was induced, uh, was introduced in sporting events to the wave, potentially, if that's actually true. That could be myth. I'm leaning myth slash truth on that one. So the Mirage Bowl, who would have known? Cultural phenomenon, UCLA history set, and maybe introduced Japanese sports fans to the wave. Not sure if the second one is true. If you want to hit the comments, Hit it. Tell me what you think the turnover battle is going to be like. I don't know. That was a lot of fun nonsense to talk about. So thanks for tuning into Locked on UCLA. I'm Zach Anderson-Yoxheimer, and we're going to wrap up this episode by telling you more about LinkedIn. So let's tell you more about LinkedIn because with LinkedIn jobs, every small business feels like every potential new hire could have a high stakes wagered to it, right, for all your small businesses. If you want to be 100% certain that you're getting access to the best qualified candidates available, you want to check out LinkedIn jobs. And they can help you find the right people faster and for free. Screening questions makes it easier to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience who quickly prioritize who so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find those qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash lockdown college. That's LinkedIn.com slash lockdown college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
That's going to do it. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer saying so long. Hands up, Bruins fans. Eight clap time, baby. Hey, if you're an everydayer, watch the Friday episode of Locked On UCLA. We're talking keys, predictions, everything on Locked On UCLA to see if they can beat the, the Beavers and stay in the Pac-12 race. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U C L A. UCLA, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.